1: It was an absolute massive shock also i remember the thought of oh what if that's the ovary that one of my children came from i just Mm, mm. and that was such a weird thought but it was in there all these things came up
0: hello everyone i'm joined here by the amazing keely on the podcast today i won't have an introduction on the podcast today keely like i usually do i just we're both sat there with our cups of tea And I just want to go straight into having this wonderful conversation with you. Good morning. Okay.
1: How are you today? I'm all right. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: In the run up to this, I thought, gosh, was it about a year ago that you and I first met and you made contact with me, didn't you? I can't quite remember. Can you remind me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think I think I I found you on Instagram. I can't remember where through, but somewhere in the days after my, um, as I was sort of getting back into life after my treatment um, and I was kind of. Blindly wandering about looking for things to help. And I think I found you through Instagram and loved your smile and thought, oh, there's a lady I can. <laughs> so I, yeah, I contacted you through that. And then you sent me to your website and, um yeah, I had a look at, um, I think I did some yoga with you for a while. I think so uh, too.
0: Yeah. And then you we joined
1: our empowered
0: menopause program. Yeah. Before we talk about all the things we did and all the amazing things you did,
1: talk to me a little bit about your life before you were diagnosed. So, before, yeah, it's a real before and after thing, isn't it? Gosh, I think about that quite a lot, actually. So, before I was diagnosed, I'm, a, I'm an acupuncturist, a Chinese medicine practitioner, and I've been doing that for a few years now. I came to it late. Um, I've got three children who are now 24, 20, and 14. Uh, so, yeah, I've been a single parent for about a decade or so before I got sick. And was studying and doing all the things, so before I got ill, I'd just um qualified and was in my first year of practice actually. so uh really running at life quite hard yeah. <laughs> as was as was my way. yeah, so it was it was a hard it was hard doing a degree as a single parent and you know, but it was something I really wanted to do, and it was the best thing I'd ever done. I mean, I loved it. and I quite often reflect on the fact that the week before I got ill because it was a very sudden thing for me I was actually at my um COVID delayed graduation oh wow yeah so I think about that quite a lot it's literally the week before almost to the day so uh, yeah we were at the graduation sort of thinking about life and how it's going to move on and how that was a real sort of pivotal moment and then a week later I was in hospital <laughs>
0: wow so
1: you were there at your
0: graduation
1: with or without
0: symptoms did you have any inclination that within you within your body Something might not run to optimum.
1: So the only inclination I'd had was that until that point, in fact, while I was studying, so for the previous, I'd say four years, I'd had these really serious flooding periods. They were so bad that when I was in clinic when I was studying, I was I literally had moments where I'd had to sort of go and kind of change my trousers. They were real, am I bleeding to death? kind of periods. And I had spoken to my GP, I'd spoken to various people, and the consensus seemed to be perimenopause because I was under a lot of stress was stressed, but I was, you know, I had a lot on with study.
0: And how old were you then, Keely?
1: 44. Uh, so yeah. it was it was my early 40s. So I started my degree when I was 41. Mm. Um, and the periods followed, the heavy periods followed straight away. And I'd had some pain on ovulation, but I'd always had really bad PMT. So mm. I was kind of used to sort of riding that hormonal ocean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it was kind of surfing. Yeah. It was quite hard. And I'd had some pain. I'd had a couple of ultrasounds and they'd found a dermoid cyst on one ovary. And I went back every year. They scanned it and said, oh, it's tiny. It's really not going to cause you any trouble. It's growing, but very slow. You know, we'll keep an eye on it. It will be fine. So really, that was it. So it was just as far as I was concerned, it was just the regular run of the female health mill, really. (laughs) (laughs) And what it's like to be a woman in perimenopause, single parent
0: new yeah, sort of career on the horizon. I guess life was super busy yeah. and exciting at the same time. Like with yeah. any with any end comes a new beginning, right? So with the end of your degree became, I guess, the opportunity to throw yourself into work, set
1: up practice. Exactly. That. I was so excited. I, I'd actually began practicing before I finished my degree. So we went into a thing called PQP where we could practice just before qualification. So yeah, I'd, I was out and I was doing it because as far as I was concerned, I mean, I'd always... It sounds a bit weird, but I'd always felt like an acupuncturist. Yeah, nice. <laughs> i have had acupuncture since I was about 19. And as soon as I had it, I was like, I can do this. This is something mm. I'm going to do. So it was always like I was just waiting for the formality. <laughs> mm. um, and, you know, often when I speak
0: to women who haven't had a cancer diagnosis, we say, gosh, you really need to plan for that next chapter in your life. You need to decide who you want to become, what you want to do, what your passions are. And you did all of that. You did all the right things. You planned for it. You had this new career yeah. on the horizon. And how yeah. were all of your dreams shattered?
1: Yeah, they kind of were. I um, So basically I woke up, I had overnights some pain, which I used to get quite a lot. Just kind of, I would get ovulation pain and then period pain. And this was sort of out of sync with my cycle. But I remember being awake all night with this kind of griping, gripping pain. Woke up in the morning and it was unbearable. Um, And now when I think back, I sort of, I did the thing that I used to do. So I've kind of, I toughed it out really. I don't know how, but I got up and had a shower and I was like, I had patience. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to work and I'll, you know, and then I remember being in the kitchen and thinking, I think I might pass out and I had to go wake my daughter up. And I said to her, banged open her bedroom door. and was like, I think I'm going to pass out. You need to call my, (laughs) you need to call work. (laughs) I wasn't even thinking about call the doctor or any of that. I was just concerned that I was going to let my patients down. I've always had this thing of not wanting to be seen like a flake like oh my goodness I don't want to be flaky I want to be really you know there for people and dependable Mm. in some ways that's probably one of my worst fears in a way (laughs) Uh, Mm. yeah in the end um, I was like that for a few hours I did speak to my GP but I couldn't really talk couldn't get any words out Um, I was quite a long way away from my body that sometimes happens when you have pain doesn't it i When I looked back, I realised how far away I was actually from the whole thing. And then my neighbour, thankfully, drove me in to hospital um, and dropped me off. And then, yeah, they took me in and that was it, really. The next day they did. um... Hold
0: hold your horses for a moment. Yeah. As a person who really wants to be so highly dependable, Mm. like I can hear this is sort of what really sort of drives you and what, what you strive for. Yeah. For them to be brought into hospital by your neighbour with your daughter at home, your patients perhaps there knowing that you're not going to turn up or not, that must mm-hmm. have
1: felt awful. It was absolutely awful. And I remember I remember <laughs> crying about that. I was yeah. so frustrated and annoyed. Um, and I think probably that was one of my worst things about the whole thing. I was like, why is this happening now? You know, the sort of the injustice of it. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and then thinking, oh my goodness, I'm at these new clinics. They're going to think I'm rubbish, you know. So, so at this
0: point, you were concerned about the other people you were trying to support. Were you concerned yeah. about your own health at that point? About how you were doing, feeling the level um, of pain you had experienced?
1: I was concerned by it because I realized at several points that I was quite out of my body and I was because I so I was a doula for many years so I used to teach hypnobirthing and I've also had home births myself my own child and um so I was doing my breathing and I'd used that breathing to get through I'd had these bouts of pain before and I'd used the breathing to get through so I was doing the breathing and I was like well it's going to stop it's gonna go. I think a few months previous to that, I'd actually gone into Amy with the pain and it had just gone off. So I was like, this is gonna go. And how Again. annoying that when this finally clears up, I'll have cleared my diary. And you know, I was really worried about my daughter letting my my clinic manager know that I was <laughs> unwell with a, a horrible, a dreaded female problem. You know, I was like, oh my goodness, mm. don't mention ovarian cysts. <laughs> mm. Like some sort of shame about it. But in the moment, you just get irrational, don't you? So, uh, yeah, I wasn't worried about that. I was worried that I had uh, a couple of IVF patients who were around the time of their implantation. So they needed very time sensitive appointments. I spent a lot of time in and out of pain relief, speaking to colleagues and trying to arrange appointments, you know, for them to cover. So, yeah. <laughs> Funny. And then what happened to you? <clears throat> In the hospital, Um, so I had a day of pain relief, but they couldn't really bring the pain levels down enough to really properly look. They couldn't do a scan. They wanted to do a transvaginal scan, but they couldn't do it. And then eventually, they did a laparoscopy. They ran out of theatre space, so I had to stay in overnight. Which again, I was a bit like, oh oh no, Mm -hmm. the children. (laughs) You know, I had at the time my two girls at home. My son had very recently left home to uni. And then the next day, I went in for a laparoscopy which was terrifying because I'd never had uh, an operation before. Uh, What is a laparoscopy for anyone who might not know? So keyhole surgery. And this was one where it was just three incisions, belly button, one to my left and then on the bikini line. And I remember them giving me this massive long consent form and going through all the terrible things that could happen. And I remember thinking, well, those things never really happen, do they? So, yeah, just sign it away. Um, And when I woke up, um, they were showing me pictures of my insides, (laughs) saying... Uh, we took away one of your ovaries and a fallopian tube. And I was absolutely horrified. I just was really horrified, actually. She said, don't worry, you'll hear from us within 10 days. I'm sure all is well. Um, it just didn't look quite right to us. So we took it away, belt and braces, off you go home. <laughs> you know, so I was like, oh, okay. Went home, cried for a whole week about my ovary. I just felt really, yeah, just, it was horrible. It was an awful week. And then she'd said she'd hit idea from her within 10 days. And literally on the 11th day, she called to say that um, actually what she said was great news. It's not invasive carcinoma. And I was like, oh, because all I heard was great. It's not cancer. Yeah. But in actual fact, it was another type of cancer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, okay. You know, so um, went in for a CT scan and then saw them a week after where they had a meeting. But yeah, the whole time I was just really quite out of it you know I was really trying to carry on as normal so people were saying well I'll come to hospital with you no I'm fine on my own I'm always okay on my own I'm better Mm -hmm. on my own you know don't give me too much sympathy I'll just cry (laughs) you know wanting to carry on and be dependable and all of that so even actually on the appointment when I, I did take my partner with me bless him he kept trying to come and I was like no, it's fine I'm a fine on my own he came with me and then when I went into the appointment I sent him off to get a coffee in the reception <laughs> and when I got in there instead of the consultant I was expecting there was two consultants a couple of SHOs so their sort of team and this CNS a nurse specialist and I remember walking in the room and stopping in the doorway, like I couldn't even take a step into the room. I was like, oh, no, that was the moment for me. That uh, was the moment you knew that your I knew life that I, would change. Absolutely, yeah. I realised all these people just looking at me and the nurse specialist kind of looking at me strangely. I just felt that... You yeah, know, you knew, yeah, you knew. Yeah, I knew that moment. Um,
0: Until we talk a little bit more about that moment and what would happen next... Hmm when you said you cried about your ovary at that point you didn't know they would find any cancer you didn't really give it too much thought absolutely not what for you as a perimenopausal woman was the worst about losing that ovary was it that you didn't expect it they didn't tell you we we might take an ovary or two or, or was it that you woke up and suddenly part of your femininity and how you saw
1: it had changed or what was it it was all of those things, really. It was the absolute shock of it. I mean, I'd been having this um, cyst scanned; just it just become a normal part of. Oh, just go and they sent me a letter. Oh, it's tidy. It was an absolute massive shock. Also, I remember the thought of, oh, what if that's the ovary that one of my children came from? I just mm, mm. That, and that was such a weird thought, but it was in there. Yeah. All these things came up, and I kind of felt silly, but I so I journaled, which I always I always go to journaling when I'm yes when things are kind of going a bit wonky, (laughs) you know, because I feel I can put all those thoughts down without feeling judged or silly. And often when I speak to women
0: who are about to have their ovaries removed with surgical menopause, often we know it's going to happen. Yeah. Unlike in your case, we often write letters to our ovaries. And I remember Mm. speaking to Carly, who's then written a lovely, beautiful love letter to her ovaries. And it was a very much a Thank you so much until today with everything you brought me and I can let go. And for some people, that sounds so mad. They're like, oh, my gosh, Danny, that's so woo woo. (laughs) It's so crazy. And Mm. for some people, it resonates and they can sort of appreciate that just taking that time. And you were robbed of
1: that time, right? You didn't. Absolutely. So that ovary, I really was. And um, that really resonates for me because I was somebody who had um, done kind of natural parenting and natural births. Cloth nappy, yeah, and long-term breastfeeding. Yeah. So I'd very much been defined by my nature as a woman, really. You know, yeah, that was a huge part of a, a huge part of me. I'd always tracked my cycles. So actually, I'd been feeling a bit hard done by that my cycles had gone so wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, hang on, I've tried so hard, and I've, you know, I always used cloth menstrual products. I just did it, or I felt I'd done things carefully, mindfully, and then suddenly, the considering
0: absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you walked into the room, you Mm -hmm. saw them look at you in a weird way. Yeah. Did you wait for your partner to come back with a coffee or did you do it on your own? What
1: did you do? So they said, um, have you got someone with you? And I said, well, yeah, but I've sent him for coffee because, uh, you know, I'm better on my own. And they were like, we really would like, we think we should bring him back. And I was like, well. Okay, well, I'm here, so talk to me. And then the consultant who'd done my operation the week before said, I'll go and get him. And she got up and left the room. And I Oh my gosh. I know. And so I was again like, Oh my goodness, I'm sending. She didn't send somebody else. She got up and went and she said, What's his name? And he said afterwards that he's never, yeah, he was so horrified to be standing in the Costa queue in the <laughs> in the hospital oh. and have them come out calling his name. Wow. Mm. So yeah, he came back. And, uh, yeah, it was a very weird sort of out-of-body kind of experience, really, because it was my worst. Weirdly, now I look back, I realise far worse things could have happened, but it was my worst case scenario that I would say, you know, full hysterectomy. And I realise that's a position of privilege because some people have a lot worse news. But for me, from my position at that time, that was my worst case. <laughs> and that was okay, what they so-
0: said. And we're not, you know, there'll always be someone, I say it on most podcasts, there'll always be someone else who's better off than you and I and someone that is worse off than you and I. But
1: Absolutely. Irrelevant
0: yeah. today, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. But but on that day, they told you they found cancer, they'd removed some cancer and they'd want you to have a total hysterectomy.
1: That's right, yeah. Because the type of tumour it was grows uh, on gynecological organs, basically. So whatever was left was at risk. And that they'd done a thing called the washings where they wash out, I guess, you know, and that there were cancer cells loose in there. Um, so they were kind of, they migrate around and can implant on uh, other yeah. things. So yeah. And how long um,
0: from that day when you knew life was going to change until the hysterectomy?
1: It was a very weird thing because the the consultant was there and he was very jolly and gung-ho and very like, haha, well... Lucky for you, I don't have a list at the moment. We can have you in within a week. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And he was kind of jolly and upbeat about it, which just felt so jarring. And then they sort of sent me home with this CNS contact, the nurse's details. And then when I spoke to her a week later and said, the consultant said a week, she said, oh, he should never have said that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We definitely can't. You can't jump the queue, you know. Uh, So I'd left there thinking, oh, my goodness, that's it. Within a week, it's going to be done you know, almost like pre-shocked, you know, about that again. Um, But then actually it was nearly seven weeks in the end. Uh, Okay. Wow. What a change to get your head round, isn't it? Absolutely. And those seven weeks were really, uh, really quite hellish, actually. Yeah, they were really, really hard. Not to mention the fact that my daughter got COVID during that time as well. (laughs)
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, while we're waiting. and So, yeah, it was a really difficult wait. Very difficult. And what did you knew
0: about surgical menopause at that point? What did the CNS, the nurse, tell you about what to expect after the total hysterectomy?
1: So she didn't really tell me anything about it. Um, She was actually filling in. She was a maternity cover for the role. Um, She was very sweet, very, very well-meaning and was a good support. But she didn't really tell me much about what to expect. The consultant in that meeting said to me, I said, total hysterectomy. So that means surgical menopause. And she said, well, yes, you'll probably get a few hot flushes, but it's okay because there's medication for that. And that was all. And then um, when I saw the surgeon, a different surgeon that was going to do the hysterectomy, I asked about it and she said, oh, we've got menopause clinic that we can refer you to. But then when I asked after the surgery, they said, oh, no, we don't have a menopause clinic. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) It was very confusing. I knew what menopause was like. I treated menopausal and perimenopausal women in my clinic, but weirdly, what I realised through this experience was that I'd never thought about it in terms of me, how it was going to relate to me, what that meant for me. Yeah, because it seems like as a person, your focus is very
0: much with the people you can support.
1: Mm, Yeah. So it doesn't (laughs)
0: surprise it doesn't surprise me that you didn't give it a thought about you because your Mm. focus is with the people around you and how you can help them. So you would have felt quite hopeful in a way that you thought, well, surgical menopause, I know how I can help others. I'm sure I can help myself. Mm. Do you think there was an element of that? Or did you just think I need to get to surgery and then see what happens?
1: There was an element. I felt completely hopeless at that time. I mean, that was one of my darkest times. Between that meeting and the surgery was absolutely my darkest time. I just felt completely hopeless, actually. I couldn't see. I didn't understand how I'd got to this place. I couldn't you know, I couldn't see a way forward. I felt I spent a lot of time sitting, just looking out the window, not really looking at anything, uh, which is so unlike me. It was really very difficult. Yeah. So you're sitting there looking
0: out the window, seven yeah. weeks go past, <clears throat> you don't me. really know what is going on, really. And then you turn yeah. up, you go for surgery, and your life again is going <laughs> to change, isn't it? It's big surgery, this thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, and they were all very excited. It was a robotic hysterectomy, which meant absolutely nothing to me. It could have been knife and fork hysterectomy. I wouldn't have cared. Uh, you know, those sort of details just kind of don't mean anything. So yeah, big surgery. The first day I went in, I went, to, I waited the whole day and um, then they, it turned out they'd, they'd ordered the wrong part. So then it was delayed <laughs> to the next day. So oh, it's just hideous. Um, so yeah, I went in and had it done. Yeah. And then responded quite poorly to the, didn't wake up properly from the anaesthetic, felt quite poorly for a couple of days. But I think that was all part of the kind of shock of it really. Mm. And how did surgical menopause affect you? So I had my first hot flush in the hospital within about two days of my surgery. And uh, okay. I said, I said to the nurse, I think I'm having a hot flush. And she said, I don't think you are. It's probably in your mind. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. she, she said, it's probably the, um, you know the medication and you know all those sorts of things but I remember it and then actually afterwards the feeling of the hot flushes was exactly the same as that so I'm sure it was one of them hot flushes were my worst they were sort of my strongest or worst symptom for me because they were unlike anything I'd ever experienced they were really volcanic they really came from really deep inside I would sweat sort of in between my fingers my roots of my hair yeah yeah and they often came with like a feeling sort of panic or like got to get out. Mm. And in the days, especially after the surgery, I had um, a couple of UTIs and things while I was recovering, which was just awful. I've never really suffered with things like that. So I was really stuck in this really broken body. And having these hideous hot flushes, I couldn't move quick enough. I couldn't open a window. I was just, yeah, they were the very obvious symptoms, weren't they? They were sort of you
0: can't, (laughs) you can't not notice a hot flush. And other people also notice because it's awful when it comes over you. Yeah, by the time I remember speaking to you, I, I can't even remember whether you spoke about your physical hot flushes so much. Mm. I think it was very much a feeling of low mood, um, hopelessness yeah. that you were describing, a feeling of now what? there is yeah. no guideline, there is no roadmap. you didn't feel there was support. No. you didn't know what your options about were, but it was a, a feel a, a, a lowness that has crept in. Yeah. And absolutely. I don't know how long after that history to me that you and I spoke <clears> for the first time and when you then joined the Empowered Menopause program. But I think sort of the physical and mental symptoms, they often kick in at the same time, but we don't notice the mental and emotional symptoms until
1: after. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They're kind of insidious, you know, they sort of creep yes. in. Because I wasn't really recovering physically, I just didn't ever, and it took me a really long time to realise that I wasn't going to feel like I had before. Uh, yeah. That was a real shocker. I, I think I've only that's really only sort of settled in probably in the past few months, and actually just for me the acceptance of that, you know, I'm not going to feel like I did before, but it's okay. I can start from now. I can still be strong and vital and all of those things. But yeah, when I spoke to you, I was struggling severely with. Anxiety actually and kind of fear, confusion. I felt foggy in my brain. I felt mm. completely at sea. I just didn't know. And my confidence went. I even had a couple of panic attacks when I was driving places. Uh, I can't even tell you how unlike the old me that was. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, uh, I used to worry about driving. I had i got this thing in my head that I was going to have a flat tire when I was driving, and I just was completely obsessed with it. I was just like, what's going on? But yeah, those things took a long time. Um, well, they've only just really started to ease now, and even then, I still have days. You know, I still have days. Of course, like that.
0: Um, it's been a over a year because I remember in our WhatsApp group you have celebrated your <coughs> one year since your hysterectomy. That was a really yeah. important time for you, wasn't it, to get to yeah. that one year since hysterectomy, since letting go of the second
1: ovary for you? That was, yeah.
0: Did you feel like celebrating, or was it a relief to get to that point? Or um, it was a big it was day. A very,
1: it was a big day. It was a weird one, and I think it was. You said to me, "Don't have any expectations of it," because uh, I felt the day coming. I felt the year's anniversary coming. It was things like it was the same time of year. You know, the light was the same. The second time I'd been in hospital, I'd, there'd been a full moon. That I could see out of the window, and so in November, full moon. All I kept thinking about was I was almost like I was back in the hospital, looking out of the window at the full moon. It was. So, yeah, the the year rolled around and it was a real mixed bag. You really helped me with that, actually, your experience. Uh, And I sort of, I still, I was like, oh, I should do something. I need to mark it. I need to. But in the end, I just went for a walk with my sister. (laughs) We just had a really, really normal day. It just so happened that both my girls were at home and, you know, it was just a really normal day. And I did some journaling and I lit my candle. I've got into a little ritual in the mornings where I light my candle on the windowsill and I just sit with my candle. And it's a little bit like how I was when I was poorly, except now I light the candle, you know, the light's there. And I just ground. Sometimes it's literally only five minutes. And other yeah. times it's much longer. But I did that on that day. Um, so, yeah. And it was kind of a relief to get to that year. But it didn't really mean as much as I thought it might. Yeah, um, the expectation, isn't it? And then Yeah, and also people and the say, reality. oh, thank goodness you're well now. Oh, yes, a year. Oh. You know, you must be back to normal that's just my, my worst thing. I can't bear it when <laughs> people say that because uh, it's yeah. there's a fear of sort of saying, well, yeah, I'm completely fine now. Thanks very much, because I don't feel mm. completely fine still. And I'm not um, back to normal.
0: <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we don't feel fine for many, many years and life would have moved on for everyone else. And we're still with yeah. a lot of baggage and different rucksacks and different belongings of our Absolutely. past that sort of fill those bags up. And it's really...
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so real
0: for us. Right. It is so real. Yeah, and it's also find... so understandable that other people think, oh, of course, it's a whole year. Of course, you would have recovered by now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they they want to feel good about it and they want you to feel good about it. And it's all yes. about. And one of the things that I've really got over in the last year, apologies to everyone that suffered with this, but I've really got over trying to make other people feel better. <laughs> about how I am (laughs) I realized that when I was poorly especially when I was really ill I was just looking after everybody still I was trying to I had to let go of managing how everyone was seeing it what information was going out you know like my family my parents my my children was just this is happening I can't filter this or make this better for anybody sorry you know I had to really let go of that yeah Um, But, but
0: but in doing so you were also sharing just the blank truth. And I know, especially absolutely. when we look after children, sometimes we want to protect them from the truth because the truth can be so painful, it can be so vicious, and it can be so devastating. Yeah, absolutely. That. And yeah. at the same time, you were sharing your truth and because you knew there wasn't anything else you could do, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was really at my sort of at my lowest, but my most raw, really. Yeah. Um, so, and and since then I have stopped putting a shine on things for people so when yeah. people say oh you're all better now I say well I'm better at the moment yeah thank you I'm better than I was I've started owning my hot flushes especially in my in my you know when I'm in the middle of a treatment and appointment and I, I'll say oh I'm having a bit of a hot flush excuse me while I just heat the room up you know <laughs> yeah. kind of... and if people yeah. ask I tell them what's happened um yeah and that's been amazing a bit... it's still have to I still grit my teeth a bit about that but really owning it and um sort of losing that shame around it you know that sense that I maybe I've done something wrong or you know um I, I don't know shame is the word isn't it that comes up around this uh certainly does yeah
0: and I wonder whether there is this sort of big blanket of shame put on women when it is something to do that is perhaps our you know with our ovaries or there's something in our womb or something to do with our breasts and sort of yeah absolutely. the femininity you know decades and hundreds and hundreds of years of shame I mean I remember when I was in my 20s and working I was hiding my tampons up my sleeve going to the toilets at the office so that no yeah. one would see I was on your period I'm sure everyone listening to this yeah. can relate to has seen or done it why is there so much you know all this shame and stigma around the monthly bleed and I'll teach my children and say to them well you might be a bit more angry because you're about to have your period and because I never did. I never made any allowances sort of for myself. It was no. every day needs to be a same day, and I need to perform. Yeah. Well, we grew up with can. those.
1: We grew up with those sanitary towel adverts, didn't we? Of the women in white, sort of jumping, <laughs> yes. and you know all of that stuff. And actually, of course, that's not the reality of being a woman um and then there was the other side of the thing where you're sort of expected to just kind of pick it up and carry on no matter what and we can't be brought down by our hormones mm, because mm. then we're not the same you know mm. and I, I never really bought into that but there was a cert- I guess there was a certain element of you know I felt like I just had to get on with it over the years because of the way life had been for me oh. and it's usual ups and downs you know you just have and- to get on with life don't you? And society brainwashes you, whether you believe it fully or
0: you don't. There's all these stories around you and you grow up with them and they do shape what you believe is to be the truth or what happens out there. Okay, so now you're owning up a little bit more to your story, you're understanding that you still (coughs) have these feelings of shame around what's happened to you, but you can share that a little bit more maybe with your patients that you see in your clinic. I remember working with you in the empowered menopause program throughout the four months that we worked together, you made progress, but actually not much has changed. And I knew that because things take a long time. I knew that's very possible. Yeah, We've listened to loads of expert videos. We had all these amazing experts and you've watched all of their videos. They talked about non-hormonal medical options, hormonal medical options. So, part of the program is really to inform everyone of all the options depending on your type of cancer what can you do what can we do ourselves with lifestyle with exercise with how we look into the future even how you talk to yourself like shame so there's lots of works happened you knew with your type of cancer that hormone replacement therapy wasn't going to be an option is that right
1: that's right yeah so I've been told and subsequently as well a couple of times in my follow-ups they just sort of confirm that they can't yeah, I can't have any HRT at all. Um, okay, so it's cold turkey. <laughs> so initially, there was nothing you took, nothing you. No, I couldn't. Them. No, I couldn't have anything nothing. like that. Nothing at all. So initially, I just I had acupuncture with my acupuncturist, and she gave me some herbs to help me sleep and some herbs for the hot flushes. Um, but medically, I couldn't. I didn't have anything. And then we talked through the program through all of the options because that was the thing that I was so shocked about was that how that nobody really talks you through that aftercare. And mm. actually I had had already had one follow-up appointment with my consultant's team. And then I did the menopause program with you. And then I went back to my consultant. And I got so much more out of the appointment because I just knew <laughs> I, I had a certain set of expectations. And I was like, okay, well, you are my team. I know that because Danny says, speak to your team. It never really occurred to me that they were my team. <laughs> no. Um, ask them about bone health, ask them about, you know, urinary health, ask about, you know, all these things. So I did, I requested a DEXA, a bone scan, and they hadn't suggested that, which I thought was absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. You know, those real basics, really. And um, in the June last year, they did prescribe me Venlafaxine, uh, which is an SNRI, which is, um, you know, an antidepressant, uh, but they use it with menopausal women that can't have HRT because it's really good for the hot flushes and the low mood and the anxiety but they gave that to me in June. Oh, I didn't take it. <laughs> yeah. So we went we went through our programme online with you and I remember talking to you about it and being like, oh, I've got this, I've got this tablet in my cupboard. And, you know, uh, with all my cards on the table, I felt like I'd be a real failure, you know, as an acupuncturist, as a menopausal woman, I should be able to manage this. I should be able to cope. But actually surgical menopause was for me a bit like being hit by a bus. Of course. Uh, and none of the the tools, none of the sort of natural tools, the things I'd always use that just didn't work for me anymore. And that was a really frightening place to be. And and you also have a really lovely GP and a good
0: relationship with your GP. And I remember whilst we were working and we were on our group calls, a couple of times he came on and he said, I've had another appointment with my GP and the GP also suggested um, antidepressants, but I'm not ready. I mm. don't want to take them. They're not right for me. I think they might make me feel worse. I'm worried about coming off them. I know we had one of the ladies in the program who was swat switching
1: yeah. from one
0: antidepressant to the other and her withdrawal symptoms were quite bad, remember? And you thought, yeah, oh my gosh, absolutely. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't allow for that to happen <clears throat> in my life because mm. I'm just about functioning
1: as it is. If yeah. anything makes this a little bit worse, I'm going to drown. That's exactly right. I was absolutely hanging on by the skin of my teeth, as they say. Yeah. I just I felt yeah. Absolutely desperate about it, actually, because I was not sleeping, hot flushing, not sleeping, feeling low, anxious, kind of scared about, you know, I just felt terrible in all directions, really. And the one thing I was hanging on to was I was managing to work (laughs) Yeah, Um, and parent. You know the real basics, and yeah. so um, I, I just couldn't bear to take something that was going to make me feel worse. And yeah. when my, my original GP had given me these, uh, the, a male GP had said to me, "These will probably make you feel worse for a couple of weeks, but then they might work." I was like, "Oh, okay." And then I changed to this lovely other GP who's been just fantastic. She's just really. And happy. this is another
0: thing we have spoken about at length, isn't it? Who is going to be? there for us in the next so right. few years like yeah, who is absolutely. the right gp can i have the energy within myself to find a gp and hoping that i can request the same person as i go and go back and go back over the years and yeah even with myself now sometimes it's easier to say i'll have any any old appointment give me any appointment
1: I just especially need when it doctor. takes so long yeah when you just want to see exactly
0: but to have that rapport with someone and to feel that you can trust that person and yeah. you've gone through that process—that's another real sort of amazing step, I think, in how you directed your care.
1: Yeah, and that was really that was really transformational because the GP I'd had before we'd had for many years and knew us well, and knew my family and a treat to my my children, but it just wasn't quite right for me when it came to this. And so, uh, yeah, the, the the new GP is yeah, it's fantastic.
0: Okay, and, and yeah. I'm not going to ask you quite as yet because in the meantime, we've baked together. Mm -hmm, So at one point in the Empowered Menopause program, I realized you can talk about the options left, right and center. You can put the most amazing expert in front of all these amazing women. And sometimes Mm -hmm. life is just different and we just need to switch off. So we baked sourdough bread together. We did. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you showed us a picture in our WhatsApp group once, and it was so lovely of how you cut your bread in Sort of triangles, and I've done that ever since. So I can't yeah. thank you enough because if you go into my kitchen today, you'll see those bread roll triangles, and they're called the keelies. So, thank you very much. They're called keelies. <laughs> oh, I <I'm> wanted <on> <laughs> amazing. Yeah, <clears throat> and then I remember sending you to a really good friend of mine's who does kirtan, and kirtan mm. is a form of singing and chanting meditation, and that brought you loads of joy it did yeah and I thought okay Keely came onto the program she connected with other women I thoroughly enjoyed connecting with you I knew your toolbox was stacked with options but you hadn't taken action and that is Mm -hmm. okay because there's a right time then the program stopped and a few weeks ago only and this is months ago now you've told me you started the antidepressants that you so dreaded to take and I was like oh my god I really didn't expect (laughs) you to go down that step because for some people it's absolutely not the right thing to do Mm -hmm. what changed for you in your head what thinking has changed for you to think I want to take those antidepressants and give them a
1: go a couple of things changed one was that I realized that I wasn't really sure what I was scared of I spoke to my uh, consultant in December and she said well, goodness me, you're no better than you were last time I saw you. In fact, you seem worse. And I was like, yeah, I guess I am. And that really hit home for some reason. Somebody from sort of outside of my day to day looking at me and saying, you seem a lot worse. And we went through the list and she said, well, I would say that you are clinically depressed. And the other thing that was happening was that I was suffering with chronic pain. I had pain all over my body, um, my joints, my feet, my legs. Oh, it's just weird. And that was really getting me down. And she said, you know, I really want you to try these. Can you feel much worse? And I suddenly realized I didn't think I could. I realized I've got to. a sad the... and <laughs> terrible place to be in, Keeley, isn't it? It, it? it was horrible. It was really, I realized that I wasn't loving life. I'd lost my joy completely. The only thing I was enjoying was making sourdough bread. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'd, I'd named my sourdough joy, as you know. So I was like, I'm going to bake my joy. I'm going to bake my joy. And I'm saving that joy in the fridge until I'm ready to receive it again. So um, anyway, (laughs) so that sourdough was literally the only thing. So yeah, she said that to me and I came home and that really hit home. And I thought, yeah, that's true. And then I started to really look around and realize I couldn't, like, if I sat on the floor, I couldn't get myself up. My knees and my feet were hurting too much. I was utterly miserable. And so then I went back to my GP and I said, I, you know, I spoke to her and she said, let's try it. She said, actually, let's try them. We'll try them on this very low dose. Come and see me in two weeks' time. If you need me before then, then call, leave a message, but come and see me in two weeks. So we sort of almost did it together in a way. Um, yeah, you were handheld through the process a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the discussions that you and I had had about it really helped as well. And listening to the podcast where venlafaxine was discussed specifically on one of the podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and just realising that actually I wasn't going to get any medals for toughing this one out. And I wasn't sure how how long I could tough it out for. I couldn't yeah. see an end in sight to feeling like that. The year's anniversary had gone by, and I was still feeling this this ghastly. How long yeah. do I? How long do I leave it? And actually, and it was sometimes a realization hmm. that how insidious that again that low mood and how it just crept into every area of my life. And it Absolutely. took someone outside to really point that out to me. Hmm. Absolutely, and I think sometimes. It takes
0: so many conversation and so much thinking, especially when you come from a background like yours, that is very natural and in sync with your cycles. And then something like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Taking more medication after really big surgeries is the least you wanted to do. So it doesn't take convincing. I don't think anyone should ever be convinced, but everyone needs to have the opportunity to discuss it so that you come to a real good conclusion for yourself at that time. Yeah, in your life. And that is just not possible in a seven minute doctor appointment. And however good a GP is, however good all the consultants are, I I just don't think (coughs) there's enough time to do so because it takes, it's a process and your process (coughs) took months. And (laughs) I don't think it's too long. I just think it's normal. And I want (coughs) everyone out there who is also thinking, what shall I do? What are my options? I think it's so, so normal that things take a long time. But our expectation is oh yeah, the doctor offered you venlaflaxin <clears throat> six months ago. You should have started it there and then. I just don't think that's quite possible for most of us.
1: No. So you started
0: yeah. the antidepressant. Yeah. And then what?
1: I started it on Boxing Day, actually. I thought, I'll get to Christmas. I had a week of feeling a little bit woozy, but I did start on a very low dose. And actually, it's been really transformational for me. It really changed things for me very quickly within just a few weeks I started to notice that I wasn't in so much pain, which was weird. I couldn't work that out. Obviously, pain is a very complex thing, isn't it? But the pain was the first thing to go, which was amazing, because that was just, yeah, because I hadn't been in poor health or poor fitness before I was ill, so it was just such a shock to be found in this kind of decrepit body suddenly. (laughs) Um, And I said, yeah, the pain went first, and then my mood started to lift. I felt like I had a little bit more energy. And then we increased it very slowly up to sort of a a proper sort of clinical dose. And actually, my hot flushes has already gone, weirdly. They went the week before Christmas when I had the flu. (laughs) Um, I I got baked for a good five days with a a fever from the flu. And then my hot flushes were gone after that. Bodies are just such a mystery, aren't they? (laughs) So, yeah, since then, I mean, it really has been. So that, where are we now, March? So it's been kind of nearly three months. And I feel literally like a. I don't feel like a different person because that was my fear. Oh my goodness, I'm going to change my brain chemistry. I won't be me. Um, yeah. I won't um, be experiencing things the way I've ex- I experienced Because I've always really loved, I'm quite experiential. I like, you know, yes. I find joy in like, I love watching the birds and I love, you know, mm. certain smells and things And I, I've always loved those little things in life. I was really afraid I'd lose that somehow for some reason, mm. because those have been like my, my shelter when things get tough, I can go and watch the birds you know um, and things like that sniff my teddy that I've had since I was born <laughs> it's going to oh, burn wow. my nose in my teddy bear but actually I'm still me um, I'm but I am a, a, a much better sort of version of me um, I don't feel unlike myself but I feel more like myself
0: I think wow yeah I was delighted so that day when I did speak to you or when you left me a message I thought wow what a surprise and it really sort of showed me what journeys we all have to go on Absolutely, yeah. To try and pick out of our toolboxes what might what might work for us at that particular moment in time, and and how long those journeys are for each person, yeah. no one will ever know. And it's probably not going to be the thing you'll be on for the rest of your life. And things will change. And
1: yeah, and the way that it was the way that it was put to me was it's a little bit like throwing somebody a life preserver, basically, in a mental health yeah. sense, and that's going to just help keep you a bit buoyant. And then you might be able to make some other. Choices. What's happened for me is that I've been able to rest more. I've just felt easier with the choices I'm making. So I rest, you know, when I get the chance, I literally lie down and rest. Now I've always told my patients to do that. I prescribe Mm. rest, like Mm. you must lie down for 10 minutes after lunch, you know, liver blood deficiency or whatever the thing is. For me, though, I would never accept that. But now sometimes at work, if I've got an extra long break, I'll shut the door, I'll put a meditation on. I'm easier on myself. And yeah. I'm more able to access my toolbox. Like, that's, yes, what that, yeah. that's what that medication has done for me. Yeah, it's been great, actually. I mean, listening to you, hats
0: off to you, because you've maintained work throughout all of this. You've mm-hmm. continued to be this wonderful single parent. You've continued to dig and have a little research into your options. Mm. It's amazing how you've done things. I've always, always had such big admiration for you, and I always so enjoyed speaking (laughs) to you, Keely. It was always, you know, I learned so much from each and every single one of you, and I just the rawness of our connections was always, you know, I could, I know how difficult it is, and without ever wanting, I don't ever say to anyone, I think this is what you should do, because I never know what anyone else should do. Of course not. We just have all these choices out there, and I just always hope. Someone mm. is able to do something that helps them a little bit, and it's amazing what you've mm. done. It's incredible. Thank you.
1: Well, I really remembered as well you saying that you wished, when you looked back on how you struggled after your surgeries and things, you wished that you'd access sort of antidepressants and things or been able to. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I remember. Yeah, hearing you say yeah. that, and I just thought, you mm. know, the thing for me as well is that I'm older than you were at that time. Sort of, you know, I'm. I'll be 47 this year you know and I was only thinking gosh I don't want to feel like this for always I want to I've been sort of accessing kind of inspirational things about the second half of life and how we can really make choices and it's a it's a second spring it's a new start I want to feel like I'm able to do that Um, yes
0: Keely absolutely yeah yeah. and I, I did always say that in the years after my diagnosis I really really wish Someone Mm. would have offered me one of those pharmaceutical lifelines because my anxiety was so through the roof and it stopped me from being present ever. And I've I've only now, you know, I'm 10 years on. I've only now started to implement what I'm teaching all of you, because in my last massive scare, I did ask the doctor for some something to help. I was I could Mm -hmm. not function. I was sick nauseous all the time I had it was awful my heart rate was through the roof it was like 170 sitting down it was awful and I did get myself some beta blockers prescribed and when I picked them up from um the pharmacy I was like big pat on the back Danny yeah you are learning from your own experience You're now in <laughs> yeah. place what you're teaching all <laughs> these it. other these um, other wonderful people that you're speaking to and I saw I think because I'm you I'm one of all of you yeah it is well done yeah it's it's definitely a learning isn't it It doesn't stop that learning
1: doesn't stop and yeah and the thing that I incredible the Mm. thing that I always hold on to is I remember years ago hearing somebody say that we teach best what we most need to learn yes Um, and that's so true isn't it because you know I hear myself talking to my patients and I kind of go oh I need to listen to myself (laughs) I need to (laughs) I need to take some of my own advice and that's it isn't it I mean you've been yeah amazing amazingly sort of transformational the information and What you bring to this whole conversation is just absolutely phenomenal, Danny. I don't know what I would have done without you. (laughs) Oh, Keely,
0: thank you. And you know what's so lovely? Um, is the community because you Mm -hmm. now give acupuncture to one of the other ladies from our programme. Yes. I know (laughs) you have met. We have, you know, baked on Zoom together. And I think there is so much else but fixing our hot flushes or our depression or our mood or our yeah. itchy vaginas or whatever yeah. it is that we're really bothered with. There is so mm. much more. And absolutely. I think everything else, apart from all of those, you know, medical sort of solutions is almost that's the joy. That's the life. That's the future. That's the spring. That's the birds you can hear. And, yeah, and that is sometimes all you've got to get you out of bed. Yeah, isn't it? Mm. Yeah,
1: definitely. We've got to we've got to have something to go towards, haven't we? That's yeah. the thing. We can't just be running away from things all the time. We've got have something to go towards as well.
0: Mm. I know. So, I know. Yeah. yeah, Thank you so much for being here today and for so openly sharing your ups and your downs and no, your transformation. Absolutely. How am I going to call this episode? Um, <laughs> Keely's <Keyless> transformation. <laughs> ah.
1: Still a work in progress, though. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, long gosh, way to go. aren't we all? Aren't yeah, we absolutely. All. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you well, so,
0: so much. Lovely. Yeah, it's been an Thank absolute you. pleasure. Thank you. Oh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation between Keely and myself as much as I did enjoy talking to Keely. Just like I said, I love, love, love engaging and meeting with all of you, whether this is on a more personal level, through our programs, all of our workshops, or whether it's maybe just a quick message on social media. I think the strength lies in creating our community and it's something I'm really passionate about. I just love watching all of you go through your own transformations and as always I think the most important thing is to know that whatever is right for you might not be right for me might not be right for keely you might be sitting there thinking gosh I don't know what the big deal was about I took these antidepressants when they were first offered to me or you might think gosh there's no way I'd ever consider an antidepressant and each of our journeys and thought processes are so different and our whole life from when we were born or even there I say before we were born comes into our decision making process at the moment we have been so shaped by life that when you get to decide on something in the now, this decision now is very clouded by everything that's happened to us and, and that's why there is no right or wrong and we just have to find our own way throughout all of this and it is sometimes that women say i have had a hormone driven cancer i really want to consider hrt for example the other women would say there is absolutely no way i'd ever even want to talk about it and without it judging there being a right or a wrong we're all allowed to find the freedom in how we construct our future health and the decisions we're going to make and i think that's exactly what keely has shown us today is Her decision making process took a while. It was a journey that she went on. It was a process she worked through and it was perfect for her. And I'm so grateful and glad that I've met Keely and that she shared her journey with us today. If you want to connect with us at any of our workshops, we are running workshops at Future Dreams House in London once every month in the spring and summer this year. You can find more information about the Empowered Menopause Programme. I put them in the show notes. You can find more information about the lovely Keeley, who is an acupuncturist in Surrey. I put a link to her contact details in the show notes as well. But now, before we're off, I want to just read you a short poem or um, a few words by Jeff Foster. How to heal. Don't force the healing, my love. Healing is always unforced. It happens when the conditions are right, when there is just enough love, attention, presence, slowness and trust. When you aren't trying to heal, when you aren't trying to awaken, when you aren't trying at all, when you open your arms to the now, when you fall to the ground. Let yourself feel the rage, the grief, the loneliness. Let yourself break, Let yourself feel worse, if you need to feel worse. Speak your raw truth. Upset some people. Bring others closer. But don't force yourself. You have to let go of the result, the agenda, the goal. And infuse your unhealed experience with love. Drench your pain, your sorrow, your longing with warm awareness. Saturate the moment with yourself. Create the conditions for healing. The ego will rebel against this news. Your heart will rejoice. Mysterious forces, ancient and unspeakable, do the healing. You only have to get out of the way. Words by Jeff Foster. And I hope a little bit more food for thought for us all. I can't wait to chat to you on the next episode. And until then, wishing you all a good week.